Hello all and welcome to What Podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the sit nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host Nick. Hello! Thank you for joining us today for another conversation about some of our favourite films. Please give us a follow um, on Twitter at Kinotomic, and you can drop us an email at kinotomic at gmail.com. Today, we are talking about women, supernatural women at that. But Mon- before that, mon- let's... Mon- monstrous transformations. Monstrous transformations. Before that, yeah. let's ask Nick what new films he's been watching. Hopefully not Michael Bay ones. I mean, he's <laughs> you've seen all Michael Bay films. I've seen all the Michael Bay. I've seen all the Paul W.S. Anderson. So... You know, we 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 can we can safely Phew. close that chapter, um, oh, and, and, and never speak of it again. Um, but so since since we last spoke, uh, well, since we last kind of spoke on because when we did we did an episode la- uh, not last week now it was week before where we did on um, Black Widow with with Max. Um, since then, uh, I've been watching a couple of films with my housemate. Um, my housemate, he is he does. Theoretically, he's a he's a he's a tenure professor at the University of Edinburgh, um, doing ke- theoretical chemistry. Uh, in, a, extremely smart and you know way more intense work than I could ever dream of. Um, but he's I found out he's a he's a quite a he, he likes his sci-fi. Obviously, you know, being a scientist and what have you, likes his sci-fi. So I've I've come up with a, a list of like twenty-five movies, sci-fi movies that he hasn't seen. And we're gonna, you know, of the last like twenty years, films that have come out in the last twenty years, we're gonna work our way through them. Um, so the first one was uh, Mad Max Fury Road, um, which I rewatched for the. I think it, me, it's like double digits now. I think I've seen that film. Um, is that the one with Charlize Theron? Sorry. Is that the one with Charlize Theron? Yeah, Fury Road. Yeah, the most recent one, twenty fifteen, with Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron. Um. Yeah, that, that that for me was double digits. Um. You know, I can't get enough of that movie. Uh, Matt's he he said it was intense. Um, so intense and so like much going on that he needed a at least a day to try and figure out if he liked it or not. Um. <laughs> so, um. I think he likes it. So we'll, we'll see. Um, and then uh, the other film he, he, uh, we watched uh, on this list was uh, Donnie Darko. He had never seen Donnie Darko, um, which for me is is really weird um, because that was a this that was a film that when I was a teenager, you know, every every teenager had a copy of Donnie Darko on DVD, you know. Um, and uh, it's, it's been a, I looked it up and it it been a it been a long time since I had seen it. Um, so rewatching it, um, it's still as good as ever um the 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 theatrical cut is still extremely superior to the the director's cut um matt's himself you know we had a really really decent conversation discussion at the end after the film about you know what he thought was going on because that's one of the the great things about donnie darko is it it kind of inspires this conversation about what did you think happened kind of thing so that was a really, really interesting conversation. I'm, I'm not going to discuss that too much because there might be people on here that have never seen Donnie Darko, and and it's the best. It's 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 best not to say anything about the plot or anything about what it's about. Um, so if you haven't seen Donnie Darko, go see Donnie Darko. If you have, if you have, you know, you'll know exactly what I'm I'm talking about. 
Um, away from that, um, so I watched two films recently. Um, both of them kind of the same same theme, but doing it in different ways. So the first film um, I watched. <laughs> So I asked Danny about this. I said, um, "She, rec- she's you, you told me I should see. Uh, was it called Torv Torva? Um, the film about Torve. the Moomins. Tor- yeah, um, the film about the the the, the creator of the Moomins. Um, and I, I'm never going to watch that in a million years because the Moomins. Explain why. Because I had nightmares as a kid involving Moomins, and ever since they freak me out i have this kind of irrational like i'm just yeah uh towards movements i can't explain it um it's just they just weird me out and i can't i don't know why because i I had nightmares when i was a kid so we'll just we'll just leave it at that so i said in return um you should see pig uh starring nicholas cage it's the new nick cage film um, from first, this is the first time director. Um, I need to get his name right. Um, the first time director, he's he hasn't directed anything before, and his name is. I'm just wait for the load up. Michael Sonoski. Um, so this film stars uh, Nicholas Cage, Alex Wolf, um, Adam Arkin is in it as well. Um, so Nick Cage plays a truffle hunter. He lives in the middle of the woods in or- or- Oregon, Oregonian wilderness. Um, with his truffle pig, and he's out there, you know, hunting truffles, and then his pig gets stolen. He then goes to find his pig, basically. Now, that's all I knew about the film, and on that description, it makes it sound as though it's going to be Nick Cage doing John Wick, but instead of a dog, it's a pig. It's not that film. This is a film that is... Where you think it's going to do the John Wick thing, it does not. It does the complete opposite. It is a mediation on grief. It's a mediation on contemplating what your life, what you're doing with your life, on family, on what it means to have a connection with somebody. It is unlike anything I have seen for a long time, and it will take something truly extraordinary to top this as the best film I've seen this year. Wow. Um, you think this is Nick Cage doing his Nick Cage thing? No, this is not. This is probably the strongest Nick Cage performance I've seen since. I mean, as a whole. I mean, so I'm talking as a whole film. I mean, his 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 performance in Mandy in certain scenes in Mandy is is incredible. There's a scene in particular where he's in the bathroom and he's he's downing a bottle of vodka, and it's it's the, the emotional release in that scene is 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 unlike anything you'll ever see Nick Cage ever do. In this, the whole film is it's the best performance I've seen from him in, in years in, as a film, if that makes any sense. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm hoping that will persuade Danny to see it. Um, it's only an hour and a half long, it's know. not very long. Um, and like I said, it's unlike anything you'll, you'll all see. Now the other film I watched after this, um, because I was not expecting Pig to be like it was, um, the other film I watched after this was more standard. Was um, standard revenge style is uh, the new film starring Bob Odenkirk called Nobody, uh, from director Ilya Nice Nice Huller Nice Huller, um, who uh, directed Hardcore Henry, 
which was that first person sh- shooter style action film that came out a few years ago. Um, so this film stars Bob Odenkirk and Connie Nielsen. Um, there's other char- other actors in there that I'm not going to say who they are because it will spoil the surprise. Um, basically, it's a John Wick kind of style thing, which is not really a surprise because the guy that wrote Nobody also wrote John Wick, in which he is like a suburban dad who's like, you know, it, he's him and his wife, you know, haven't been together in a long time. His son doesn't respect him. You know, he's working a dead end job. It's the same shit over day over day out. And then these two thieves break into his house and he doesn't do anything and something kind of snaps in him and it's almost like a falling down kind of stale type of story and like you know it's about a suburban guy who just snaps but there's something a bit different to that that he actually has more of a a dark history and a, a dark secret about him um, like I said, it's kind of got a John Wick kind of style thing. Now you think what with Bob Odenkirk being <laughs> the actor he is, it wouldn't work. I mean, this is this is the guy that plays Saul Goodman for crying out loud. Um, he he does the action stuff really well, and it's it's a credit to the to the choreography and the editing as well that it works. Um, this is a guy that gets beaten as much as gives out the beatings. Um, Bob Odenkirk really has that kind of aura about him. Um, and it's he's he's excellent in it. Um, on that note, um, it was it was kind of uh, released last night that he got rushed to hospital. This is obviously, yeah. Um, you know, we still okay. do- yeah, we still don't know what's going on. Um, you know, we're talking like twelve hours later, and there's still kind of no press release. But he apparently collapsed on the set of uh, filming of Better Call Saul. I really hope he's okay because he is one of my favorite actors. I mean, if you remember when me and Danny spoke about Little Women. You know, we both me and you were like as surprised as anybody else when, when Bob Odenkirk showed up in Little Women. You know, he's the kind of actor you you love to see in something. So, really, really hoping he's okay. Um, I'm really hoping this is a case of no news is good news. Um, but we'll see. Um, I really hope he's okay. Hopefully, next time we record, we'll have some we'll have some good news to kind of speak about with him. But in in that kind of respect, you know, his his performance in Nobody is is really really good. Um, if you're looking just for a, a you know, a mindless. Honestly, it's not even mindless action film. You know, it's 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 about an hour and a half long. You know, again, a decent length for for a movie just to kind of have on. You know, and I think I definitely prefer Nobody to to the John Wick films. Um, I love the John Wick films. I think that they're excellent action movies. But there's something about Nobody which you know I, I liked a lot a lot more. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I've been watching. Um, uh, Danny, you you've had a you've had an interesting you've had an interesting week since last time we recorded. Yeah, so I um I went to the Attitude Festival last weekend, and I had a very interesting film fueled weekend, uh, which I did not expect. I got to um hear Mark Hermode um talk about movies and his favorite movies on two separate occasions. Are we allowed to One say Mark we... are we allowed to say Mark Hermode is a friend of the podcast yet? Has he liked any of our tweets? No, I don't think so. I know he liked one of your tweets, but I don't know about any of the podcast tweets. I don't think he's a listener, okay. but he would he I'm sure he would like it if he knew about it. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, not friend of the podcast Mark Kermode. <laughs> um but yes, so I got to hear him talk twice uh, on two separate occasions in two separate tents. Uh, one of which was uh, interviewing Ben Wheatley. 
and he was very funny and bubbly and charming and he's directing some new films uh, one of which is The Meg 2 so watch out for that I was quite surprised that he decided to sign on that project I don't know have you seen The Meg 1? I haven't seen The Meg 1 I mean uh, it, it it's it's been you know it it wasn't it was like when it was announced I was like yeah Jason Statham fighting a giant shark but and it, apparently it's just and now like a, more. it's like a PG-13 thing where yeah, yeah, but there's gonna, there's gonna be another one, yeah. Yeah, and there's yeah, there's a few other projects in the pipeline. Um, and the most interesting that um I've sort of my piqued my interest was um in the Earth, which is in cinemas now, and I'm I think I'm going to go either this weekend or next to see it because it looks really really good. Um, yeah, Ben Wheatley's new film. And on that note, uh, I've seen finally a field in England. Oh, okay. So, so we 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 had this discussion because you you told me that you were seeing Ben Wheatley in, in in Latitude, and we had a discussion about doing an episode on In the Earth and some Ben Wheatley films, just a general discussion about his work. Um, because I'd seen a few of his films, and you'd seen a few as well. I've seen of yeah, handful. yeah. Yeah, so um, we we yeah, we probably do that. we're probably going to be doing a bonus episode on Ben Wheatley, probably probably well, soon. I imagine in the next couple of weeks. I'd imagine it will um, have to we'll have to see because we'll see. I've signed up for a lot of um, cinema viewings of because next week is is August already. And I want there's there's Betty Davis season at the BFI, so there's going to be a lot of films that I'm going to watch um, next month. Yeah. Around that um, Betty Davis, so I don't know if um, we might, yeah, we might need to postpone in a few weeks, but definitely something to look forward to in the future. It is I definitely really something enjoyed, that we want to do. Yeah, there's definitely something we want to do. I really enjoyed the field in England. Um, it was much funnier than I had expected because what happened at Latitude um, they showed us a clip of the movie which I, I think I'd already seen before when the movie came out was it 2014, 15 um, when Reese uh, Shearsmith comes out of the tent and the whole face is changed and it's very eerie and the music helps with with the atmosphere of of evil and, and eeriness and quite horror and possession so to speak so having seen that scene and it frightened me to my very core because you see this person you don't know what's happened to them it's it was very much out of context so i was expecting a lot of you know dark forces at at play but it was very funny it was it was the humor was very dry but it was also very very human and i yeah i very much enjoyed it the cinematography was incredible was absolutely mind-blowing and you could see that it was it was on a tight budget but it was it was very creative and it just adds to to its charm it was a really brilliant film and i can't wait to see sightseers i think that's next on my list yeah, Sightseers is is very very good. Um, it's it's probably as black as comedies can go. Um, you know, I, I I grew up going on caravan holidays, so there's a lot of stuff 
in sightseers that really kind of hit a note um so yeah no uh, yeah sightseers is, is very very good and a field in england like you said is very very good and it sounds like it sounds like your experience watching ben wheatley is now in the positive after the uh, horror show that was rebecca from what i can imagine well if we must talk about rebecca we shall i suppose well the thing about rebecca the 2020 version uh, i can't believe there's two versions now oh god um it was that i didn't enjoy it because i am as you as you probably know and i've probably said this quite a few times on the podcast i don't think lily james can act i just don't <laughs> think she, she's a good actor at all i don't think she i don't think she has, she's got it in her i don't think there's something i don't believe anything that comes out of her mouth or no i'm sorry i can't and of course now everything is kind of seen through the prism of of the whole army hammer scandal which i think ben whitley would like to you know distance himself from it as much as as possible yeah so i think the the least said of of rebecca the better yeah but yeah it's not a very good film i don't think and the only saving the only two saving graces of that film are sam riley and uh, kirsten scott thomas who can do no wrong in my book she's just absolutely amazing and if there was anyone that could do uh, Mrs. Danvers, it's her. Cool. 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 Um, so, uh, an Latitude, Latitude Festival was, yeah. Yeah, so, it was or, very, very interesting. Good. And I found out that Mark Hermode had been there five times. So, I'm definitely considering going again next year to see what, what's on the menu. Excellent. 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 Um, so I'm assuming with the, the whole attitude thing, there's been no no films. It's just been just the one film after I've returned, and I yeah, um, a field in England which I saw yeah. um, last night. I hadn't seen anything else since I think we talked last time since yeah. Black Widow. Cool, 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 cool. Should we um should we move on to our our yes. uh, our featured discussion of the day? Absolutely. So, Cat People, nineteen forty two, directed by Jacques Tourneur. Um, here's a quick synopsis: An American man marries a Serbian woman who fears she, that she will turn into the cat person of her homeland's fables if they are intimate together. What do you think of the film? So once again, I mean, this is a recurring thing on this podcast. This is one of those movies which has been on my list for God knows how long. It's one of those movies which is of which is referenced elsewhere, and I've just haven't got round to watching it until now. Well, we ha- you have. Uh, so I've got to say, I was really, really impressed by the whole mood and atmosphere of Cat People as a whole. Um, I will talk in a minute about talk in a second about how, you know the the sequences that I have seen before the sequence I have been seen before, but the, the whole film you know it it knows exactly what it's about and it knows how, exactly how to convey it effectively. Um, <laughs> sexual repression has never really been lead as perfectly as Simone Simon 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 how do you say her name? <laughs> Simon Simon. There we go. I, I butchered her Simon. name once before when we did uh, La Bette Humaine, didn't we? La Bette um, Humaine. 
yeah exactly so I, I can't speak french so yeah um you know she you know that's what i mean her the way she's lit in this you know is perfect and and the way she looks is, is incredible and you know sexual repression has never looked so good um her performance i think you know is is desperate tragic and i i actually i feel more sorry for her than i do uh oliver reed and, and alice you know kent smith and, and jane randolph's characters i feel more sorry for for her than i do you know the the two characters who were meant to be the you know heroes of our story if that makes any sense um I think as a horror film, I mean, you have to take this into context of when it came out in 1942. And as such, I think this is the best horror film, American horror film of that era, I think since, I think it's it's definitely alongside Bride of Frankenstein. And I love Bride of Frankenstein. I, you know, that's one of the greatest horror films of all time, not just, you know, of that era. Um, so yeah, Cat People, really, 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 really strong film. Um, I thought the music and the sound design sound design in particular was was incredible and the cinematography as well i, I think it was is really quite as perfect as it really could be um like i said the central performance from simon simon uh, as irina dubrovna um was was really captivating and i, I like i said I, I thought she was really really tragic um if i had any complaints i think it would just be the fact that oliver reed and the actor playing him kent smith i think his scenes just kind of felt as though they were just kind of flitted together and as though you know he just so happened to be caught between two gorgeous women you know the other being jane randolph um speaking I don't of like Rand- him as an actor okay well that's that's good that's good i'm not on him then um speaking of jane randolph i mean and the scene that I've seen before. So I've seen that bust scene before. I think every film student has seen that bust scene before in out of context where she walks along the park and you swear she's being stalked by a large cat because you can hear the growling and then the bus pulls up and the doors open and it it's you know, it's the it's the jump scare, it's the release, it's the fake it's the fake kind of scare which, you know, horror directors have been copying you know what it's called years. nowadays it's a cat scare isn't it is what it's called isn't it it's called a luton bus luton bus there we go um yeah so and you, like you said you know that that, that 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 thing i've seen i've seen separate quite a few times and you know devoid any context now i've got to say now i know the context i know what happens before and after it and especially me you know being invested with jane radoff's performance and uh simon simon's performance you know the scene is is even better um so yeah i i thought the film i mean i'm probably going to go into it when we talk about our next film i thought the film paired very very well with the next film we're going to be talking about but that's just me um so yeah no this this film was 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 excellent um yeah uh, really yeah I'm, like i said i i it's been on it's been on lists and for for you know about horror films of this era yeah. for for a long time and you know it there there is a reason for that it's not just like you know it's not just it's there just to make up the numbers there is a reason why this film is so highly spoken about and now I'm I can see why and I can join the you know have you seen cat people this this film is excellent kind of thing so yeah bravo yes. bravo excellent uh see so if you managed to um cross it off your list so Yes, so the um the sort of the jump scare that is now sort of part of almost every horror film that we see nowadays and um 
yeah it can be like a cheap if it almost feels like a cheap cheap trick um nowadays but now then it was it was quite revolutionary um especially when it's like um something that is very suspenseful and you expect something really bad to happen but something benign happens like the boss pulls in um instead of the you know panther jumping on her that you yeah. would expect to happen um and again when um with the um swimming pool scene again where you don't see much of it the reason that you don't see it's it's a bit like jaws right because two-thirds of the movie you don't see the shark because they didn't have the budget for the shark or the shark wasn't functioning properly same was was with, with this film val luton was given um by rko only a hundred thousand um hundred fifty thousand dollars to make the film which resulted in creative producing so they basically they were like let's just see let's just make up stuff and see how we can go so many of this uh, special effects had to be done in shadows and i think that had added to the suspense of the film there is a, an incredible documentary not i think i've referenced it a few times in this podcast i think it's a uh, history a history of horror with mark gatis and there's a three part i think it's yeah three hours and they're both all three parts can be found on youtube i think and in one, I think it's the third part, no, the first part, I think, he goes and interviews J, um, John Carp- Carpenter, who directed Halloween. And he talks about the, the Valutin sort of style of filmmaking, of, of producing, and the idea of the, the monster being in the shadows and you don't see it. And I think it will tie in very much with what I've got to say about the next film that we will discuss. And the idea that John John Carpenter said, I, I want to see it. I want to be able to see what I'm scared of. I want to be able to put a face to the fear. I don't want this moment, like, not seeing a shadow and not seeing anything, especially during the uh, pool scene where you see shadows of on the walls of the panther sort of circling the pool, but you don't actually see the shadow, the panther. Um, personally, I think... It adds to to the suspense and and to the to the scare because you you don't see it but it's you know it's there and you know it's going to frighten the hell out of you if you do see it. Um. So yeah, I think uh, we'll talk a bit more about the next in the next film because there's a lot of seeing of stuff in the next film. Um. It was interesting that you pointed out that you felt very sorry for her for um Irena. Because uh, I was reading and I found a really interesting um, review by um, Roger Ebert, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. And he talks about how how sad it felt for to see her being so such a lonely character, um, and how um, what's his name Oliver Reed um, being the only friend she ever had, which is why she falls in love with him. So yeah, it just feels it feels quite rightful to feel to feel bad for her because she's this it feels like she's this repressed bigoted almost person who's afraid to sort of come out of her shell or sort of discard her nationality so to speak. I yeah. think that has a big part in it. 
And as an Eastern European myself, I kind of see where it's coming from because it's very hard to discard that. And there's a lot of repression and there's a lot of stuff like folklore that you, you know, especially when it comes to, to sex and sexuality, you have to repress that. You can't be a sexy woman and you can't have sexuality. It has to be hidden and it has to be sort of stifled. So on that note, it's very, very um, cleverly done, I think. And that's why I, I, I chose this film and I, I like it very much. Guess how much money it made uh, at the box office, given that it had uh, a budget of $150,000. Probably nowhere near as much as it should have made. Or was it a huge success? It's one of the two. It's either a huge, it's either a massive success or it's like, you know, it, it bombed. Guess. Oh, God. Uh, was it success. a success? I'll, I'll go with success. Okay. Be, it was be the optimist. Hey, I'm yes. the optimist. <laughs> it's actually um, made um, four million dollars domestic oh, wow. revenue. That's, that's a lot in forty dozen. In forty-two, $40 isn't it? Yeah. And um, I think, and if you remember, okay, we're going to talk about it, aren't we? Nineteen forty-two. Other films were released around that time. Some um, films that uh, were very, very. Yeah. Hang on. Let's hang not on. mention I can, it. I can answer however, this. Hang on. However. <laughs> To make the connection, it was um, edited by Mark Robson, who also edited the Magnificent Ambersons, and I think they did use some of the sets from the Magnificent Ambersons onto um, this film because they were trying to cut um, cost. And I think there's a story that Mark Rox Rosson Robson was. Um, uh, put to work on this film as a punishment because he worked on a film by Orson Welles. And we all know how, how Mark, the Magnificent Amberson ended up because it was just basically destroyed by the studio. RKO, thank you very much. Yeah, so the film the film we're referencing is uh, is Bambi, uh, which came out in 1942. Uh <laughs> yes, that's exactly what the film I was thinking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, supervisor. The, the I think there's um, there's a very good explanation in in uh, Roger Ebert's um, uh, review about this film and why many people because it was like I said at the beginning it was directed by Jacques Tourneur who also directed uh, later on uh, a film noir one of the best film noirs ever out of the past which I definitely recommend watching. Um, it was directed by Jacques Tourneur, but it's always been considered a Val Luton film, um, even though the Val Luton was, was the producer, not the director. And there's a very interesting, um, very short interview with Jacques Tourneur uh, on YouTube, and I'll link to it in the show notes, in which he explains what, why they work so well together. And he basically says that he was, Jacques was the more pragmatic of the two, and Val Luton had all these amazing surreal ideas that were very hard to put into into action but because they were kind of complementing each other one of them was more like down to earth and the other was like head in the clouds they could work very very well uh, with each other um so yeah they were um they were very well matched and also there's a 90 i think i think i find it curious and i haven't seen it but i, I think i want to put it on my list there's a 1982 version of this film with uh, Nastasia Kinski, which who's um, Klaus Kinski's daughter, I think. 
Yeah, it's Paul, really Paul Schrader's version. Um, yes. I wonder what that's like. I mean, I it has it's popped up. That's another one that's popped up on my list. Um, in terms of like horror, like because obviously you know there's there's a whole culture of um, horror films that you know remade from old old horror films, and yeah. you know cat people. Uh, the eighty two one by Paul Schrader pops up every now and then, and I think it was you know it was one of those films where you hated it or you loved it kind of thing. It was very very polarizing, and it was also yeah. deemed as a bit too. From what I can gather from things that I've read, it was deemed as a bit too um, kinky. I think is the right word. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, Natasha Kinski is is incredibly beautiful. Um, so you know, yeah. Um, but yeah so is Simone Simon and I think I I like her performance um, Simone's um, of like innocence and and sort of slight fear of herself even so I um, yeah I think Um, I mean and it's really cool to see Simone Simon in in a role like very sort of scaredy cat more, more more or less pun intended when you see her as the crazy cat in um, La Bête Humaine, which is three years prior, yeah, uh, where she's like femme fatale, um, like fully fledged femme fatale, yeah. Um, and, and I, I think I... yeah, go on. Go on, no, I was no, go on, go on, you go on. I I don't know what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> no, I was I was gonna say so. I was looking up the the Cat People eighty two because I knew there was another reason why I wanted to watch it. Um, and it was the fact that the 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 soundtrack was done by Giorgio Morador, the the famous uh you know composer. Um, but uh, David Bowie did uh some of the vocals on on one of the songs on the soundtrack. So that was a there's a song reason. there's a there's a David Bowie song called Hat People. Yeah, that is the song that features in the film. Yeah, I know the song, and I never put two and two together. I I thought yeah. about it whenever I saw the movie. I was like, maybe there's a connection, but I didn't until I've done research for this episode. I didn't realize that he might have he did the vocals on that film. Yeah, I should probably watch it. Um, and yeah, one um one other thing, if you are interested in um learning more about Val Luton and his sort of career in Hollywood, there's an incredible incredible podcast by my friend Adam Roche. Um, and it's called uh, Shadows, the Val Luton story, and I'm, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's just an cr- incredible story, and he's an incredible solid storyteller. And on that note, I have a question which will, I think, tie us nicely to the next film. Go on. What do you prefer, to see the monster or to leave the monster sort of lurking in the shadows without having properly... It, le- right, it depends... It depends. So I know, I know what you mean. So, to quote my favorite film of twenty twelve, of course it depends. Of course it depends. Of course it depends. So go on. With the with the next one, we're just going to go straight into it. I think so. With with Ginger Snaps, it's a werewolf movie. And what's the point in having a werewolf movie if you can't see the werewolf? Because that's one of the great things, in my opinion, about watching werewolf movies is that they look they look just unlike anything else. You know, it and so for me, I think with cat people it works. It works in cat people, it works in jaws, it works in 
Alien, for example, where you you know, yeah. it, the yeah. implied horror is worse. You know, is worse than the horror that you see. Whereas you know, you got a film like Aliens, which the the sequel, where where you see them, you you see them, and it's perhaps even maybe more terrifying because you see them and you see how freaking horrific it is. So I think it is a purely a case of context and whether you know seeing the monster or seeing the horror is worse than imagining the horror it all depends on the film and what the monster is for example i think that's that's my that's my that's my view i, I um so i mean we'll get into it then we'll get into it we'll, we'll, we'll do we'll do ginger snaps now so we're all done with cat people yeah yeah, we're done. Yeah. Right, done and cut people. Right, so Ginger Snaps is the second film we're doing um, from the year 2000, directed by John Fawcett. Um, this film stars Emily Perkins, Catherine Isabel, uh, Mimi Rogers uh, is in it as well. It's really nice seeing her. Um, so, a brief, out, uh, brief synopsis The story of two outcast sisters, Ginger and Brigitte, in the mindless suburban town of Bailey Downs. On the night of Ginger's first period, she is savagely attacked by a world creature. Ginger's wounds miraculously heal, but something is not quite right. Now Bridget must save her sister and save herself. So, Danny, what did you think of Ginger Snaps? Okay. Hmm. So, um, I want to go back a bit when we discussed pairing these two movies because I I can't remember how we got around to it. And oh yes, I do remember. We talked about Raw. And we talked yes. about um, like the sisters. idea of, of of sisters and the idea of of, and then you suggested something more eerie and more like you know crazy, um, and I th- I suggested cat people because I thought it had to do with female sexuality and repression and all that, and I was expecting something slightly different than what I got with Ginger Snaps. So, I'm going to say that I enjoy it less than I thought I would. Um, it was, it was okay. Um, but, but I think it comes again with with the expectations. I was expecting some more more mystical stuff um, and less teenage e stuff. I felt that the acting was quite wooden. Um, I felt Bridget was always too mopey and. The wig was super distracting. I was just like, what is wrong with your hair, woman, girl, whatever. Um, the the girl playing Ginger was quite good. Uh, you could see her development from innocent girl to, spoiler alert, creature from the deepest, darkest forest. I thought the story was good. I just thought it had some problems with the execution. And I think... Now that we have something to compare it with, as both Cat People and Ginger Snaps are more or less low low budget film, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Um I personally think it would have it would have worked better not to show so much of the monster. It if I felt it it ruined I know I know you were gonna say, it just felt like it ruined it for me because I would have preferred it if it weren't a werewolf. A run-of-the-mill werewolf film, which it was. I personally, I lost interest in what was about to happen after the mother goes to the Halloween party and is never to be seen again. And I thought that was a major plot hole, um, because 
I thought Mimi Rogers was the best thing in the movie. And when you see her going in, in that party and then the kids just run away, run amok with everything and you don't see it, what happens to the mother or the father for that matter. I have a problem with 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 the teen movies where the parents are completely absent. Yes, the parents are always the annoying thing in the background for every teenage movie, but they have to be there, I think. And yeah, I think that just ruining, like taking the, the parents out of the equation is just a bit weird, especially when you see that the stuff that they get up to in the house and then the parents don't hear anything. What is up with that? Um, but yeah, after uh, like the last sort of act, it just felt like the wheels fell off and it just felt quite weird. And it just, yeah, I didn't, f I tried to be invested in the, in the characters and it was, it felt like a teenager breaking bad film, um, and just sticking a, a werewolf story in there. Uh, I was, yeah, like I said, I was expecting more like a mystical transformation from a young newborn thing to womanhood, so to speak. And instead, it was a rather, what I found, silly transformation into an albino werewolf. What is that? Why was the werewolf white and where's his hair? And now you're going to tell me why I'm wrong, but I just felt like just the whole werewolf thing was just silly um it didn't feel scary it didn't look scary it just felt stupid and what annoyed me the most was that towards the end when they have the shot that will make her better and they have this elaborate well not elaborate but they have this plan to save the day and the sam the kid just goes out the door and he just dies next second um, but yeah, maybe I've missed something. It just felt quite tragically not interesting. Sorry. Don't I don't apologize. Don't apologize. Um I wasn't I wasn't frightened or anything. I wasn't just felt a bit dull. I mean I I knew this was gonna be a hard sell. If I'm being really, really honest, like I thought this and Raw were gonna be the hard sells of the podcast. As in, but what surprised me hey. is that you liked Raw a lot. You loved Raw, and I but, was kind of hopeful that this would be the same thing. But I, I, you know, you can't compare the two movies. No, Raw no, you, is no, such no, a brilliant, yeah, intelligent no, 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 film. No, no. Yeah, I'm just okay. I'm just saying where I'm coming. Where I was coming from. Um, I mean, I, I was. I mean, when I when I saw this film, it was it was in an attempt to try to watch these must see horror movies that kind of propped up quite frequently on all the, all the websites and podcasts um i think this one popped up around about the same time jennifer's body came out in 2009 uh, the film i've spoken before on this podcast um i speak highly of it for, for obvious reasons um the, this film ginger snaps it, it has this feel of a of a 90s slash 2000s horror movie it's kind of caught between the whole scream inspired resurgence of teen slasher horror you know you know with i know what you did last summer and and the final destination films from 1996 onwards through to you know before we kind of got the grimy horror that we got low budget with with say you know the first saw film which which came out in 2004 um 
And I think the feel of this film is is really unique in that it couldn't have really have been made any time else. And I think that the low budget nature of it and the fact that it's made in Canada and it's, you know, it 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 doesn't. There is no other film for me that feels like Ginger Snaps. And I think that's where my like of this movie kind of stems from in that it is because of that that the whole werewolf stuff really is really in, I don't say inspired, but it's they've done a lot with so much so little. Um, and it really goes to show that you can do that. You can do a lot with so so with so little. Um, I think for me, this is one of the three best werewolf movies, um, along with John Landis's uh, American Werewolf in London and Joe Dante's The Howling. Although uh, the best werewolf design on screen is is the one from The Cabin in the Woods. Um, I prefer Wolf. Jack Nicholson one. Yeah. I know it's cheesy really? as. Yeah, really. It's more believable than this. Sorry. Go on. No, no, that's fine. Um, I, like I said, I really like this movie, not just from a werewolf movie, but I think it kind of films, it does, it does something different to, different with the werewolf idea, you know, uh, you know, away from like, uh, like films like Dodge Soldiers, for example, which came out in 2005 from Neil Marshall, which is a film that disappointed me really because it promised so much and, and it just didn't, wasn't the movie that I expected I wanted it to be. Um, and I think this movie is very much, you know, about being an outsider. You know, the, the Fitzgerald sisters, away even before the werewolf sisters stuff, are, are, are weird. You know, they they were emo before emo was a thing. Um, the film is for, is is like is like Carrie, you know, in which a teenage girl becomes a woman and 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 causes destruction to those that cross her. You know, the difference here is that unlike Sissy SpaceX, you know, telekinetic prom queen. You know, Catherine Isabel's ginger has her sister B looking out for her, even even her mother too. And I think there's a real, you know, from the readings I've done on this, I I've, I've read on this film, you know, there seems to be quite a, a feminist leaning towards the messaging of this movie, you know. Which is. <laughs> so, I was going to wait until the end, but the the. There's um there was a feminist scholar called Bianca Nielsen um I've I found her her piece which I'll link to in the show notes um she says that uh, by simultaneously depicting female bonds as important and fraught with difficulties Ginger Snaps portrays the double binds teenage girls face and Ginger Ginger is an embodiment of these impossible binaries she is at once sexually attractive and monstrous natural and supernatural human and animal feminine and transgressive sister and a rival um and i think with for me that it really it really it is it is kind of like the film that came before jennifer's body i've spoken before about jennifer's body and how kind of important that film has become in in you know this new wave of of film criticism you know the fact that you know film criticism needs to stay steer away from the the, the white middle class male and that you know you need these new voices and films like Jennifer's Body and films like Ginger Snaps I think you know they get something another reading to them that you're not going to get from say uh, <laughs> Peter Bradshaw for example you know um, saying that um, 
speaking of a white <laughs> middle class male that's written about this film, um, Scott Tobias, um, American critic, film critic, who I, I do respect quite highly, even if some of his opinions are a bit skew if. Um, he did. He had a series on the uh, called the New Cult Canon on uh, on the website the AV Club, and uh, I'll link to this article in the show notes because it's really interesting. But I'm just going to read this out because it also goes into some of the the background stuff to do with the film. Um, so he says the darkly funny Canadian horror film Ginger Snaps extends Carrie's menstrual mayhem into a full-on monster movie, something of a hybrid between the high school metaphor of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the body horror of countryman David Cronenberg. Seemingly left for dead when it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival in 2000, only a mild controversy over the idea of a violent high school movie so soon after Columbine gave it much heat, the film struck a chord with its irreverent, slightly ambitious take on female troubles. Now, ten years, ten years and two sequels later, it looks like the perfect alternative antidote to the chaste romanticism of the Twilight series, a safe space for budding young misanthropes who feel more of a kinship with the goth girl outcasts of Ginger Snaps than with Kirsten Stewart and her poster-ready vampire hunk. So yeah, I, I, the the film, the film kind of got birthed in this post-Columbine world. And when it's kind of when viewed with that lens, and especially when you know, especially you know, because this article was written in two thousand nine, and you think about the, the the Twilight stuff went on, this film is is much more. I don't know. It's just much more powerful than anything, than anything else that you got in this genre. I don't know. I don't know if you if you if you if you want to disagree uh, with me I or. Don't, I I don't know. I don't. Neither agree nor disagree. I'm just thinking that if it's if it's in a post Columbine world, it just feels like quite insensitive to it because it goes that because she goes into on a rampage and kills some of her colleagues and the janitor and the teacher and it just feels very out of control and you'd you'd have to be careful how to portray a woman who is just on the brink of womanhood um and i think it it just sort of forgets that part okay i just feel like you know she she's yeah she becomes a monster only because she's 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 different but that i don't think that should be the message maybe i'm reading it wrong i no 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 i know it's a perfect perfectly valid reading i can i can see where you come from with that I can see where you come from from that. I mean, obviously, you know, we're coming from two completely different perspectives. I mean, yeah. I was never a teenage girl, like... so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it just feels like she gets punished for this otherness, and she shouldn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. That's, I, what, I think, that, uh... that's kind of the problem but then, I do, do, you, do, you, do you think that... The... Do you think that's the same thing with Carrie, for example? Because you know the, the the similarities are uh, are very similar. You know that you know Carrie, for example. You know she she has a period, and then these kind of powers yeah, kind of also, awaken in her. Yeah, you know, yeah. do you think Carrie? Do you think she's being punished? I mean, she is being punished, but like I think do you she's think... doing. I think for me, Carrie is the one doing the punishing because she's the one who got laughed at, um, and made to feel she got tricked into making into thinking that she was part of the group when she wasn't and then she got laughed at yeah 
and instead of accepting her for who she was because she was a special girl she was someone different um she got sort of made into this weirdo and she sort of took revenge on everybody and killed everybody if i remember yeah. correctly and yeah she, we have to remember. She, yeah she did die at the she, end as well didn't she yeah yeah yeah, and it's, but, yeah. yeah, it just yeah. I mean, also we have to remember that Carrie was what late seventies, and it was also written by a man. So, hmm. Yeah, written by Stephen King, directed by Brian De Palma. Yeah, yeah, and if you think about, um, you know, the films made in the seventies, and we, I think we've we've touched a bit on them during our. Um, Robert Altman um, episode that men didn't really understand what women are all about in the, in the seventies. They were either mothers or prostitutes or very little in between. Um, I think if you look at movies from the seventies, like the top of the pile, the directors they were very little in touch with their feminine side, so to speak. Yeah. But that's a discussion. That's a long discussion for another. Yeah, another no, I, I know. I see where you're I see where you're coming from. I think with with to get onto the subject with Ginger Snaps in terms of like where you know where it came from. Yes, okay. The the director is male. John Fawcett is is male. But the the writer Karen Walton, you know, it. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's another. Like I think I, said, a, I think you know. I found, I, yeah. Yeah. Go on. Go on. I was just gonna say like I think her. I think her contribution. I think this film wouldn't work without. You know, I, as much as as much as I I kind of the Diablo Cody kind of dialogue kind of grates on me a little bit. I think the the combination of Karen Kasuma and Kaiba Coley with 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 in 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 Jennifer's body, you know, that really hammers home the 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 what they want to talk, what they want to say when it when they're talking about female specific experiences and and queer specific experiences and i think ginger snaps with karen walton um her her screenplay and her her writing i think it really the relationships between bridget and ginger and the mum as well i think yes i i agree with you you know that the fact that the mum disappears at the end is 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 a, is a blasphemous act you know but at yeah, the end of the day you know that was the main problem i had yeah yeah no I, I was very much invested in in the mother daughter daughter's relationship and the sister's relationship was very well written and i enjoyed the story this first thing i said was that the story worked but i think the execution was the problem with yeah. it yeah yeah, I mean, I I really like the fact that you know, for example, that you know they they accidentally kill the kill the kill the girl in the kitchen, and and the mum finds the body and kind of just helps them <laughs> get rid of it. I was hoping that will take you know? that will lead somewhere. I was hoping, I was half hoping that it might reveal itself to be a, a, a like a a precursor of of raw, where the mother knows of of the curse of the daughters, um, and I thought that. In, I thought that the the fact that they found the herbs that they needed in mother's sort of stash would indicate that she knows about the illness and she helps she wants to help. Yeah. You know, because the mother had the um, the weeds that were monks, actually the monks, antidote. Monkswood, yeah, monkswood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh so I thought oh, okay, so she knows and that's why she's got the the, the monkswood. But and then she disappears and I was very disappointed. I'm like what what's happened? It felt like a cop out 
you know. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I do, I do agree with you. I think it was, you know, that there was kind of the, the one of the down things of the film. I think the film does a very, for me, it does a very, very good job in showing the relationship in the family between, you know, the mother and the two daughters, and the fact that the, the father is completely fucking oblivious, because at yeah. the end of the day, you know, fathers do tend to be oblivious to what their daughters are going through. Um. You know that's kind of like the stereotypical thing. I'm not saying that's the the truth. I'm just saying that's the stereotypical thing. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting. You know, you had the, the nurse at the school that was, you know, all very you know cheery, and she's just like, yeah, you know, this is puberty. It's going to happen now until you're in your late thirties. You know, welcome to womanhood. No, 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 no. until late forties or fifties even. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like welcome to womanhood <laughs> for the next thirty um, years. I think that's what she says. Yeah, and it's you know, and they're just they're just like, but you know, they 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 think they're not being listened to, kind of thing. And I know it's it's, it's kind of the point. I think I don't know that for me, there's just something about this film that really works for me um, in terms of its messaging. Um, and I I really do I understand your your criticisms and your your thoughts on it. Um, Thank I, th- you. I do think I do think you you do have a point. I do have you do have a point. Um, so quickly, uh, just to go back on to because I can't not talk about the special effects. I think the special effects are in, in a, a really really cool. If you're talking from a if you're talking from a special effects kind of, you know, focusing on that and not you know what okay. it's showing. Um, you know, Fawcett stayed away from CGI effects because obviously in 2000, you know, CGI was as dodgy as anything, especially with the lowest budget they had. And I think the prosthetics and the makeup really, really shine. Um, Isabel, Catherine Isabel had to stay in a, a makeup chair for about seven hours um, to create the kind of metamorphosis. And then, you know, it took kind of two hours to remove it all. Um, she was covered in the like... The was what... particularly interesting, actually. Yeah. And... Yeah. and creepy and it's not really something it's not really something you see when when it comes to i think it's a nice little take on a werewolf kind of transformation you know you don't really see it in you know for example when in american wife on london you know he's yeah okay he's he's seen a hallucination of his of his mate but like you know he doesn't have any weird growths or anything does he you know no he just transforms yeah i think that also the fact you know she has you know unprotected sex with the the guy and he kind of has this kind of weird STI kind of style Cronenberg transformation I think it was really cool you know I I think it was pretty cool um yeah she she was kind of kind of covered in in sticky fake blood quite a lot of you know household detergent removed and she had to wear contacts that kind of hindered her vision and teeth that meant she couldn't speak without lisp um the full facial prosthetic that she had to wear also gave her a permanently runny nose where she had to stop with Q-tips, so that must have been pleasant. Um, and lastly, uh, the soundtrack <laughs> is typically 2000s, um, featuring Glassjaw, Killswitch Engage, Soulfly, Fear Factory, Hatebreed, and Cradle of Filth, among others. Definitely the kind of music you would expect on, on a Kerrang! magazine cover from that from that age. Um, definitely got the nostalgia hit through that. I don't know if you did. Um, not really. No. No, no maybe it was just me. Nothing kind of <laughs> nothing shouted two thousand at me. Um that I remember. 
Yeah, okay. But there was a lot of rock there. I, I've I've noticed that. Yeah. Cool. All right. No. No. I, 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 okay. No. I'm glad. I'm glad we. I'm glad we've spoken about it because, like, we've been able to have this. You know, able to have this discussion, and and you know, you yeah. you you've, you've had an interesting response to it. So I'm glad we've been able to kind of have that. You know, because yeah. it is boring. It is boring at the end of the day when we're like, yeah, this film's great. This film's great. You know. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there was not much to say about Cat People except that it was amazing, and yeah, we agreed on that because it is one of the classics, and I'm yeah. I'm glad you managed to cross it off your list. Um, it is something quite spe- special. Yeah, I have to see the curse of the Cat People now. I can say that there are two sequels to Ginger Snaps, which I've been I'm I'm now got an itch to see. One of which is a direct okay. sequel. The other the other takes place in nineteenth century Canada. So wow. I'm really I'm really intrigued to to watch those. Um, Interesting. Especially given the low budget Canadian nature of them both. <laughs> cool. Excellent. All right. So that's us done on so, on cat people and ginger snaps. Cool. So what are we talking about next week? Um. So next week we're taking a very very hard left hard turn. This is completely different. We are going to be talking about uh Grand Illusion or La Grande Illusion by Jean Renoir. From 1937. No, I've I've done it once. I'm not doing it again. Um, <laughs> do you want to say it? La Grande Illusion. There we go. Uh, directed by Jean Renoir. Um, so that film was from 1937. So the World War One film, and we're pairing that with a film about World War Two. Uh, our first Terence Malick movie. The Thin Red Line from 1998, uh, the other World War Two movie that came out in 1998. Um, that film stars every male Hollywood actor from 1998. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I'm looking forward to that because I, I really this your it's also your first Terrence Malick movie, isn't it? No, I think I've seen New World. Yeah, Colin Farrell, yeah. Yes, I've seen okay. that one. And did he direct, if I remember correctly, I think I've seen half of um, Badlands. Yeah, Badlands with Martin Sheen. Yes. Okay. Brings it, I think I've seen Badlands. Once. Okay, so you, you've seen New World, so you, so you kind of know what you're expecting. You kind of know what you're going to have. Yeah. You know. Yeah, okay. Because Terence Malick is, there's no other filmmaker like him, so you know. Okay, so you got a bit, you got an idea what to go for. Awesome, right? So that's next week. You know, we're talking about war films. Um, I think it's our second of our third three lots of war films we're doing, or maybe the first or second. I don't know. Um, cool. So that's next week. Uh, Danny. In the meantime, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kino Joan and my website is under construction so I'm not going to give it away now. Watch the space. Don't oh, go wow. to my website. Well, uh, actually, I'm going to type it in now. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, okay, so you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler. Uh, my website is still the same, superatomovision.com. Uh, I haven't written anything on there for a while because I've just been writing kind of other things. Um and still working away on my first youtube video um whenever that's going to get released i don't know but it will it will come out eventually 
Um, you can also find us podcast Twitter on at Keenotomic. Um, you got our website, uh, got our Gmail account, Keenotomic at gmail.com. Drop us an email on there. And so yeah, I think that's that's all all for this week. Um, so yeah, so thank you for listening from me. And a goodbye, and a thank you for listening from me. 